Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. About two weeks ago, I was talking with a couple more of our construction guys here at Citizens, Clay, uh, Stephen Teddington, Blake, and we were talking about an old saying in the construction world, that you can build things uh, good, fast, and cheap, but you can't do them all at once. Things can be good and cheap, but they certainly won't come together fast. Things can be good and fast, but they certainly won't be cheap. And last, things could be fast and cheap, and I think we know how that ends. It's never good. Fast food, great idea at the time, not so much later when your stomach hurts and you don't feel great about it. But this is the space that Jesus taps into. He uses a construction metaphor from the first century and talks to us that there's only one right way to build our lives. He calls it the house. We're all building a house and there's only one right way to build the house, no matter what your house looks like, no matter how big or how small, no matter how many rooms, no matter where what it looks like on the outside, every life is gonna be different. But there's only one right way to build this house. And Jesus claims it's on the foundation of Jesus and his words. And when Jesus says, Jesus in my words, he means the entire Bible, that they're all God's words. And we'll jump into that a little bit later. But to build your life on any other philosophy, to build your life on any other master, to build your life with any other goal in mind is to build on things that are cheap, is to build on things that will never last in their goodness, is to build in a fast way in a long, slow life. Look with me at Jesus' teachings here in verse 24 and 25. Jesus' words are true foundation. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We must reckon with we are the builder of our life. We must take responsibility that your life, your house is the one you build. Are there other factors? Are there things outside of our control? Absolutely. But Jesus is very comfortable saying that you are the builder of the house and you have a choice on what foundation you will lay in this house. He doesn't remove responsibility from us. Instead, he puts it directly on his listeners, puts it directly on you that you're building a house, house your life, and you are choosing the foundation of that life. Could a tree fall through the house? Yes. Will strange and unpredictable things happen in your life? Absolutely. Will there be marriages, deaths, divorces, adoptions, babies, loneliness, loss, surprises, jubilation? Yes. It will make our house look different over time, but the choice we can make is what foundation is the house on. And Jesus puts that squarely on us, leaving us a choice that we can build on the rock or we can build on the sand. And to build on the rock, Jesus says it's to hear his words, hear his literal words in the Bible, and also hear his word as the Bible and do them. 
To hear and do is to put our house on the rock. To not hear and do is to put our house on the sand. And if we believe what Jesus believes, that is to follow Jesus, we must believe as Jesus believes, we are to believe all the scriptures from God. All the scriptures from God, because that's what Jesus believes about the scriptures. He's not just referring to the red letter parts here. He's referring to all of scripture, because if we are to put our house on the rock, we must believe on Jesus's terms, on Jesus's words. And look what Jesus taught and practiced about the Bible. We call it the Bible. He's going to call it the scriptures. In 1035, Jesus said, scripture cannot be broken. There's a pastor named Kevin DeYoung that summarizes it here. And he says, first, we must see that scripture cannot be broken. Jesus teaches that scripture will never break, that God has spoken it and it will exist forever and ever and ever. Therefore, we can trust it. Therefore, it's never changing. Therefore, it is a rock that you can build your house. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus teaches that the scriptures were not done away with after Jesus, but rather Jesus fulfilled the scripture, that all the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament of your Bible, that huge first half, that doesn't just fade away, but instead is fulfilled by Jesus, that you can trust all of it being fulfilled in Jesus and not forgotten. Furthermore, in Matthew 12, Jesus affirms that scripture is reality and that even big stories like Jonah, even big stories like Solomon, even the big stories like Adam and Eve, Jesus references them all as real people. If Jesus believes that this is God's scripture and is validating it and stamping his approval on it, then we must also see if I follow Jesus, this is the word of God for me. This is the truth of God for me. Therefore, what could be more valuable to spend all my life and time on if this is not a suggestion, but the actual words of God that Jesus himself is referencing, trusting and building and saying, I am the God of this Bible. If you follow Jesus, then this is your word. And what could be more precious? What could be more sure? And I love in Matthew 19, Jesus affirms that scripture written by human hands, but written through the Holy Spirit is the very scripture of God. Look what he says here. It's an amazing passage. Verse three says this this is in Matthew 19. It says, then the Pharisees came up to him, came up to Jesus, and they tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not read that he... God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, teaching about marriage is a whole nother sermon that we're not going to do today. We got a lot to get, get into just the word of God and the sending of the Nashes. But right here, it says this, have you not read that God who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, as in God said these words. Now we know Moses wrote these words down in Genesis 2, 24. 
But Jesus is comfortable saying that God actually said these things, that this scripture, Genesis, is God's scripture, that he's quoting my actual father, not a suggestion, but a conviction that he's basing his whole argument about what marriage is, about this is how we're going to teach about marriage going forward. Jesus affirms that everything you read from Genesis to Revelation is from God. Therefore, is a spiritual discipline. If you want to know God truly, you need the special revelation of God to tell you the truth. It's the key that unlocks the door to the house of life with God. Without it, you don't have the right key. You can know things about the house. You can wonder what's in the house. You can have people tell you about what's in the house. But without the key to unlock the door, you can't be in the house. That's why it's the importance of things like missionaries being sent to people who have not had a key put in their hands. That the scriptures unlock the house. In Jesus' view, the scriptures, they're from God. As we see that Jesus affirms the Bible and is obeying Jesus' words, we must obey God's scripture. But there's another way to live. Jesus says there's one way to live with this house standing in the storm. But verse 26 and 27 paint a different picture. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built this house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. We can build on the rock, or we can build on what is sinking sand. Every philosophy, human idea, culturally relevant moment, Anything else we build and trust our life to other than Jesus. To hear Jesus and deny obedience to him is to live on a false foundation. And Jesus uses this construction metaphor because everyone would be familiar with it in the first century Galilee. First century Galilee was a lot drier and a lot wetter than here in Alabama. They had seasonal big rains and long stretches of dry weather, which left dusty ground and then sand. But that sand over time got real hard, like rock hard. And so it was awfully tempting to everyone who's building a hut or a barn or maybe a house or maybe a store or whatever else you're building to say, hey, how about we don't dig down to the bedrock and we just build on the sand here? Look, it's as hard as can be. It's not going anywhere. But everyone who heard this parable knows, no, that's the cheap, fast, and bad way to build because in an extra rainy season or an extra big storm, that house is going to wash away with the dirt. It's on a false foundation. And Jesus isn't describing something that's infinitely hard. Instead, the bedrock was only a few feet of sand down. He's not saying that only Superman can be saved or only Superman can follow me. He's just saying you must make a choice to either build things fast, cheap, and bad, or dig through the sand, put your faith and your knowledge on me, put your faith and your knowledge on the scriptures, set the house on a true foundation. And when the winds come and the rains blow and the floods rise and the streams swell, you don't have to be so worried. Because you're trusting in Jesus, not yourself. So church, what are you resting your house on? Your life on? On shifting sand or the rock of Jesus and his words? Because one day the rain will come and it probably already has. 
We've all lived long enough to have moments when the rain and the wind blew pretty hard. What will happen to your house and your life? Will it wash away? Will it crumble? Will you crumble as a person in loss or disappointment or failure or pain? Will you be sidelined and bitter? Will you shut down? Or even on the one day when the last wind blows, the chill of death rolls over your body, will you face death holding a hand of sand before God's judgment? Or will you happily cling to the rock of Christ and say, this is my salvation. I have no sand in these hands, but rather have a rock that I cling to, a rock that is more solid and greater than mine. And my forgiveness is with Christ alone who rolled away a stone for me. Church, Jesus, his words, the word of God could not be more important. Therefore, we must prioritize it in our life if we are to build on the right foundation. This is very practical because we're also going to hear from Tyler Nash about their ministry. They'll be leaving in a month. We're going to spend some time in extended prayer for them after he explains what they're doing in Thailand and their history a bit. But I want to teach a little bit about how to study the Bible and some habits that can form us to make this spiritual discipline. I would hate to talk about the importance of the Word of God and not actually give some tips on how to read and how to be in the Word of God. So grab this sheet for me. There's more on here than I can hope to explain in any short amount of time. But take a look at me. The first is how we study the Bible, because all important things you do in life need a plan. And this is a really simple way to do it. And there's more guidance on the sheet, but I want to encourage these practices. Usually it's called OIA. That's a traditional way to study the Bible. It's been working for centuries and it will work for you too. But I wanted to add one on front. P, prayer. It sounds so simple, but why would you not want God's help to read God's voice into your soul that he made? It, I mean, it's wild to go, oh, just going to read the Bible. Man, put your feet on the ground, take five deep breaths and ask God, I am here for you. I'm not here to check a box. I'm not here to impress my spouse. I am here to have the God of the universe breathe life into this weary soul and check out the results. So pray, pick a passage. If you don't read the Bible regularly, I would pick, start with Psalm 1, read one Psalm, pick a book of the New Testament, read one chapter. That is plenty to do this with. Two chapters, health is on the way, family. Observation, just look at it. Read it twice, notice everything. The longer you stick in just observation, the richer the rest will be. When people don't have rich, quiet times with the Lord, it always starts with observation. Why? You say, oh, I've read this, or this has nothing to say to me. Give yourself a second read, and the more things you observe, you're not trying to think profound thoughts here. You're just saying, what's happening? Why is it happening a little bit? What's going on? Observe, observe, observe. Then move to the I, interpretation. What's this mean in the passage? What came before it? What came after it? What's going on in this book? What's going on in the big book of the Bible? Start to ask those bigger questions of what does this mean for me? Am I like one of the characters in this story? Quick tip, you're never Jesus in the story. You need a Jesus. If you're like, look at me, I also do good things. Not you, man. You're the one receiving the good deeds and in need of the good deeds or possibly doing the wrong thing and receiving correction. 
we are to follow the Jesus. Um, but look right here. If you look down, it says reading with Jesus at the center, a gospel understanding of Christianity. This is just a flyby to say when you're in the Old Testament, every book, every chapter, sometimes it's hard to see when you get too micro, but everything is anticipating that one day the Savior will come. The Genesis 3.15 will occur that a son of Adam and Eve will come and crush the head of the Satan snake and reverse the curse that has plagued the universe. That has already come, but for all of the Old Testament, they're anticipating it. After, in the Gospels, it's the manifestation. What is this son of Eve like? Who is this Jesus? That's the question you are answering every chapter. If you want to read the Gospels well, before you read the chapter, go, who is Jesus? And then write every observation that that chapter tells you about Jesus. You want to talk about your picture of the real Jesus expanding and exploding in your heart. Notice every act of mercy, every truth bomb, every gracious moment, everything he teaches about the Old Testament. It will blow your mind. Then move to Acts. This is the story, they even use this, the phrase, the word of God multiplied over and over of proclaiming that Jesus has come, died for sin, rose again, and let's go tell everyone because that's what Jesus told us to do. The epistles are an explanation. All right, years are rolling by. What do we need to do with this gospel? How's a church work? How's the Christian life work? How's it work in a city? How's it work in the country? How's it work thinking about the end of the world? That's what the New Testament is, is people sitting in communities and not sitting, they're busy saying, or not busy, their life is full. And their life is full trying to explain how does all this actually work? Because Jesus said a lot but he didn't give us everything of how each of these situations work. Everything from uh, what's life like in prison is a large part of the New Testament, all the way through what's it like having kids, what's it like fearing the end of the world or anticipating it. And finally, we have one book on the consummation of it all. How's it all end? And all this keeps Jesus at the center. Jesus coming back, Jesus working in our midst, Jesus's message expanding, Jesus himself here waiting for Jesus. If you stick in those kind of zones, you're going to come out with right interpretations all the time. And then last is application. So P-O-I-A. And application is this, what must I do, change, repent, or believe? Why does this matter to me? And that should be a place we really want to stick because Jesus says, the build on my foundation is to hear my words and do them. If you do P-O-I, you have not met with God. You've not put anything on a foundation. You filled with head knowledge. And we don't want to be lollipop heads, huge heads, stick bodies. <laughs> we want to be people who do the word, who take the next step. And the do might be just to change how you think. Romans 12 says, renew your minds. Like that is work to change how you think, to challenge how you think, but also to physically do or change, repent or believe or be encouraged. It's not always negative. Sometimes we just need some comfort from God. So that's first how we study the Bible. And now I want to give it a little guidance on when to study the Bible. And here's the idea. I want us to have rhythms. I don't want us to be the folks that are like, you know what? I'm signing up for a marathon. It's in three weeks and we're going to figure it out. That's a terrible plan. You're going to fail. I've met with more men that like, man, I'm going to read the Bible this year. We meet in March and they're like, I died in the deserts of Leviticus. 
It's like, okay, maybe just start with the New Testament next year. Let's start with the bang and see how far we get next year. We need a bit of a plan if we're going to set our foundation, our house on the rock. And here's where I want our plan to be daily, every day, read slow, grab a study Bible. It's time to buy a study Bible, ESV study Bible, NIV study Bible, life application Bible. Those are three great ones. I can help you find it. Citizens will happily buy one for you if you cannot afford it. But there is no greater, more accessible tool than a great study Bible with you to stop going like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And to go, hey, I can figure it out. And then I can talk to a friend if I need to keep thinking about it. So every day, Read the Bible. Find a way to read it. A great practice that many citizens do is listen to the Bible in the morning as they get ready on whatever plan they choose, maybe one chapter, maybe five chapters, you know, if you're a rock star, whatever that is, and then spend some time in another part of the day reading the Bible. I know so many people who embrace that and really love that it saturates their life with the Word of God. Second way is together. You need at least one close friend, whether you're married to them or not, whether you live with them or not, but someone who's physically here in Birmingham, in hopefully this community that you regularly talk about the scriptures with. Don't be in a place where it's an all you world and all of it stays with you. You were meant to encourage people with these words, to be encouraged by these words. And we use the word accountability a lot in Christianity, and that can be good. But a lot of accountability is actually spelled friendship. Who wants accountability without friendship? You want friendship that has accountability as part of it. So make sure you have at least one close friend, preferably they live with you, that's just talking about it with you to make it normal. Rather than a teacher and a quiz, it's a friend and you teach each other to walk the same way. That's how the disciples did it. I'm not making up a fancy thing. I'm just trying to bring us a little closer together around this word of God. Third way to be together is we have all these seasonal groups. We're going to move back to community groups that focus on the word and prayer together. Uh, That will happen in mid-August. They'll stick together for an entire year in a way to go deep with one another. But you should have a seasonal life in groups to expand your perspective and to help each other grow in the word of God. And the final way together is preaching is the God-ordained way to lead a community forward in the word of God. It is a huge gift. I'm not saying I'm a huge gift, but preaching is a huge gift that we can walk through an entire book of the Bible thoughtfully, carefully applying it. If you hung with us for 50 sermons of John, guess what? You probably know a ton about John. And maybe that wasn't part of your personal reading, but preaching the Bible instructions to preach the word, to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture. Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together, even under intense persecution. Why? Because it's important that we are instructed in the word of God. Ephesians 4 says that the that we are given teachers in order to teach us the way of the Lord. There's just a gift to putting ourselves in a daily rhythm with scripture, a together rhythm with scripture. And here's the big challenge. This is the least fashionable part of spiritual disciplines other than fasting. We'll tackle it next summer. This is memorizing. Most people don't even teach memorizing, don't even talk about memorizing nowadays, nowadays, but we want to be a people that treasure the word of God in our heart as Psalm 119.11 tells us. So flip your page over. This is the big challenge portion. Big challenge, Citizens Church. Can I get a woo-woo for big challenge? 
Uh, that's what I'm talking about. That might be good enough to get them. We got seven scriptures here. Seven. And my goal for us is to memorize all seven by the end of June. So you have about 30 days, about four days of scripture there, maybe five. First one's about what scripture is. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That's why we preach it. That's why we study it. If we don't think scripture works, then we shouldn't use it. But we do think it works. So one on scripture, five on the gospel, gospel centered, gospel heavy, stored in your heart. And then one on the grand vision of God. Worthy are you that talking to Jesus to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. That's the cross by your blood. You've ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, uh, language, people, and nation. We're going to memorize seven scriptures. I made them. They're just one sentence each. These are ones to store in your heart forever. And I want us to at least try it. You might hate it and say, yeah, I'm not coming back to this for a long time, but I want you to shoot for these seven. And then once a year, we'll probably do a memorization of a chapter of the Bible going forward. That's in the fall. So don't worry about it yet. But we're going to start working through slowly but surely with rhythm. It's not a competition. It's not a super fast race, but we do want to be trained in righteousness. We do want reproof, correction, teaching, and training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3 says. And I think we'll be grandly rewarded by treasuring the word of God in our hearts. So set out a little plan. And here's my guarantee. You can ask me any of these scriptures by the end of June. Deal? Feel free to go, go after me. Uh, kindly talk to each other about it, but you can go after me as I'm asking the whole church to memorize seven scriptures. Deal? Can I get a whoop whoop? All right. Last rhythm, when to study. The last one is just obey. Belief becomes firm in action. Doing God's word is an exercise in faith. So obey without delay. I would be a fool to say, we're going to study all these things and do all these things. We need to obey, obey, obey. And here's the truth. The reason we're here to celebrate and send Ty and his family is because they are obeying the Great Commission. They are obeying Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Everyone is sent. Everyone is sent to make disciples and go. It might be across the street or very literally across the world. We have two missionary families who support the Nashes and um, Aaron and Aaron. But I'm going to bring up Ty to share about his ministry now. They leave in about a month, and then we'll pray for Ty. Welcome, Ty, up. Well, good deal. Thank you, Carl. Um, as he said, we, my, my family and I, uh, so 
Jenna is my wife, and we have two little boys, Johnny and Harris. They're not able to be here today. They're sick at home, as little kids often are. So, um, but we are, we're moving to Bangkok in about a month, and we'll serve on a church planting team there. Um, so before I tell you, Carl, Carl asked me to share what, what exactly we're going to do there in Bangkok. But before I share that, I just want to give you like a picture of something that my family and I are praying to see happen in like 20 years, okay? So we're just like a vision for what we'd love to see happen in 20 years. In 20 years, we would love to see dozens of gospel-centered, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-teaching churches that are planting other churches, like Citizens was planted right here. We believe that the mission of God to save his people, and I know you guys hold to this as well, the mission of God to save his people goes forth through the planting of new communities of, of his followers who've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and who are reaching out to share this message with those around them. All right, that's a lot of words, but let me give you like some specifics for Bangkok, Thailand. What could this look like specifically in 20 years? Instead of a college-aged young woman, burdened and guilty day after day, going to her Buddhist temple to earn merit, when she passes a monk on the road, she would literally bow down on her hands and knees and face to honor him and to earn more merit. Instead of this, she would look to Christ, who has earned all of the merit on her behalf and rest in the freedom that he brings. What, what else could this look like? Again, I, we're, we're just dreaming here. Instead of an elderly man who's just lost his wife, instead of him holding this extravagant Buddhist uh, cremation ceremony ritual so that the spirit of his wife, who he believes has just passed in reincarnation to another random being, and he himself is trying to earn merit, he could, he could trust instead and know that because his wife had trust in Christ, she was in perfection with her Savior, and he would be with her one day. Again, th- this would be incredible stories of transformation. This is what we believe could happen through the planting of churches there in Bangkok. So how do we do this? What, what, what would we do to plant new churches? Again, Carl just mentioned it. We, we go and we make disciples. We first proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as we share our very lives with Thai people around us. And for those whom the Lord calls to himself to believe, we bring them into the church, we disciple them, and namely that's, that's reminding them of their identity in Jesus. And the overflow of this is that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbors as themselves. Again, we, as Carl just talked about the Bible, we believe this is what the Bible has called for us to do. Um, strategies and programs, methods are, are great and fine. And I'll share about some of ours in a bit. But guys, we know that a mere new discipleship program does not have power to reach down into the hearts of humans, especially those in Bangkok who've been burdened by Buddhism for for centuries upon centuries. A new program doesn't have the power to do that. But the gospel of Christ does have the power to do that. Only the gospel can do it. It's the gospel of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Amen? The gospel is what raises the dead, and that's what we go to proclaim. I've seen it in my life. I know you guys have seen it in your lives, too. If you haven't, come talk to me after. 
I just want to make this clear before I get into some of the details about what we'll do. Okay, so I'm going to run through this for the next 10-ish minutes. I'm going to talk first about how we do evangelism, and then second about how we do discipleship. And then what I'm going to do for each of these is I'll share just some uh, some quick points, and I'm going to share a story about, so we previously served in China for five years. Many of you know that. I'm going to share a story about how this played out, because let's be honest, it looks like to hear stories more than just me rambling up here. So, um, and again, I, before I move into this, Carl mentioned this too in his, in his talk. Throughout this whole process, we are praying. Because what I just said is the, the power does not come from us. It doesn't come from anything that we do. It comes from God working through us. When Jesus looks out at the lost, what does he tell us? Does he tell his disciples, you need to go immediately and tell them right now? No, he first says to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. And so we come to God knowing that he is the one who has the power and ask him to to transform hearts through Jesus. So I think it's helpful to frame like how we'll do evangelism. Again, we'll be in a a, a massive city, Bangkok's 15 million people. Most everyone has never heard of Jesus. Um, So it's kind of three ways we go about meeting people, all right? It's very simple. Again, it's not not crazy. Um, Neighborhood evangelism, workplace evangelism, and then event evangelism. And these are ways that we meet people, ask them questions, hear their stories, share our stories with them, and begin to share the hope of Jesus with them. So we'll, for our neighborhood, we'll be in apartment-style housing. It'll look much different than many places in Birmingham, where, where you know hundreds and thousands of people are kind of living on top of each other, um, going to the same convenience stores, shopping at the same wet markets every day, um, walking around the same apartment complexes. So we begin to meet people around. We begin to meet our neighbors and we're very intentional about it. We get to know them. We ask questions and we go deeper. We begin to go deeper than just, hey, what did you do this weekend? How was your weekend? We invite them over to our house and we go over to their houses and we ask, what was your family like growing up? Tell me some stories about that. What does Buddhism mean to you? each morning? What what are some of your biggest fears in life right now? Have you ever heard of Jesus? And I'll say this, I I am amazed at how when you start to ask people like deeper questions, I'm amazed at how doors are open to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul continually prays this. He prays for a door for him to be open to proclaim the message of Jesus. Just start asking folks questions and you'll be amazed at how how, how many opportunities there are to, to, to begin to proclaim Jesus with them. So, um, yeah, and it's very unique to their situations as well when we start asking them about their stories. And then secondly, this will happen in our workplace. We'll start off uh, in language school. We'll be learning Thai. And then after that, I'll um, get a job, a part-time job as an English teacher at the local university and we'll be doing the same thing there at our workplaces. We'll be um, seeking out people. And this will also give us a chance to uh, love them other than just with our words, but to pursue excellence as, as a teacher. Um, and yeah, again, just asking questions, looking for doors to proclaim that we are all created to know God. And Jesus' death for us gives us that. And I'm going to want to step aside here and just say, this is not unique to missionaries, all right? Like we all have the opportunity to do this. So wherever you, like, listen, think about your neighborhood right now, okay? Think about those that are around you. Think about your workplace. What are some questions that you could ask them 
that would begin to open up doors for deeper conversation. And then pray for the Lord to give you boldness to begin to share about the hope that you have. Again, this is what we were made for. This is not a burden or, or a duty. It's a privilege to share the hope of Jesus with people. So um, very quickly, the third and finally, we'll have some event evangelism. And what this will look like is we have uh, Christmas parties or Easter parties or some other holidays where we invite many people into our home and are able to share more that way. So right now, I'll share a quick story of how we saw um, someone come to faith in China. So Tang, uh, he ran a convenience store. I think we have a picture for this, Grace. There we go. That's Tang, and then that's Johnny, but this was two years ago. So Johnny's bigger than that now. Um, so Tang ran a convenience store in the neighborhood where our team lived. It started out what we would buy drinks and snacks from him. He was one of the many folks that befriended us in the neighborhood. Uh, he helped us with our language study. We would bring him random American desserts that were just way too sweet for him. He, he did not like them, but he still ate them. But his facial expression was clear. Um, as we got to know Tang, uh, we heard about his family, um, about his upbringing. He'd actually grown up in that same neighborhood. As we got further along, he shared with us about the immense pressure that he had to um, send his daughter to college and, and the, the, trying to make money to do that. And that was 10 years ago. Praise the Lord, she's in college now. So praise God for that. Um, and so we began to share with him about Jesus and the forgiveness and hope that he brings, the hope that we have, uh, and the hope that he could also bring Tong and all the relief from the pressures in his life. Uh, but Tong repeatedly said, there's no way that God exists. There's no way that God exists. So a year passes and we're seeing Tong almost every day. He's beginning to open up more about uh, God and the potential of him existing, but he still would have considered himself an atheist. We travel some that summer and come back. When I, when I first see Tong, he's like, Ty, Ty I believe in God now. And I'm, I'm just shocked. I'm like, what in the world? It's been a year. What, what is, what's going on? And I apologize if this kind of rocks your boat in terms of how God works, but Tong goes on to tell me that he's like, I had a dream, all right? And in this dream, God tells me that he's real, he exists, and that he needs to listen to what these younger Americans are telling him and that he needs to believe in, in God. Uh, and he does. And um, I could say, so I, I want to tell you all the story sometime later, so please come and ask me. I just don't have time right now. Uh, but anyway, this is just one um, way that the Lord can, can use just continually coming to people, asking questions, and sharing what Jesus has done for us. So, for discipleship, we'll, we'll, I'll kind of close off with this. For discipleship, as we see more and more folks come to faith in Jesus, be baptized into the church, much like citizens did in March of last year. I know it's a really funky time because of COVID, but we'll begin to meet as a church. The team that we're joining in Bangkok, they've already planted two churches and we'll be joining the third uh, church planting team. Um, so looking at what scripture says, again, this is our guide. We believe Carl just touched on this. I didn't know he was, but we believe that what God has outlined for us is what week after week, like the rhythms of discipleship looks like in the church. It's meeting together regularly for worship that includes the preaching of God's word, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper to remind you what God has done for you in Jesus, baptism to remind you of your identity in Jesus, praying together, singing together. And apart from this, we'll also have smaller groups. Again, it's very similar to citizens. Um, where we'll meet to do discipleship in smaller groups. Uh, and 
It's similar, except it's on the other side of the world, and we'll, we'll be doing it in English. It'll be in Thai. So, um, so this is it's through this meeting together regularly for worship, encouraging one another, holding one another accountable. I guess I should use friendship here, not accountability. Um, but serving one another, and then together reaching out to the lost around us. We believe this is the way that God's Spirit builds His church. Um, Okay, so now I'll share a quick example of what this can look like that we saw in China, and I'll close with this. So, uh, Ya, he was a student at the university where we served. He first heard the gospel of Jesus one summer. Um, then he began to hang out with, with Christians for the next few months. He hadn't believed yet, but later that fall, he ended up uh, trusting in Christ for salvation. Again, like Tonga, it took him a while to, to, to figure out what this means. Don't, don't be... Um, yeah, don't, don't be upset if folks don't accept initially. I mean, think about your conversion. It probably took a while for you to understand what all this meant. Uh, so, yeah, he began going to church and our student fellowship each week. He grew in his time in the Word and prayer, like you guys are studying this summer. Um, when the spring semester came, our, when our small group would meet, I remember sitting on the couch across from Yah, and I remember just watching him speak with such conviction as he encouraged his Chinese brothers to get in the word and prayer and to, and to share the gospel. I, just, I, I was just amazed that he, he just looked different in the way he talked about these things. It's because God had come into his life through Jesus and he was now a new person. Um, this was a new identity. And I, I remember one instance, I went to the, the house church with Yah that spring. Security was really tight in China. The government was not, it was really cracking down on religion at that point. So churches, they were actually having to meet, um, they're having to change the time and the location that they met every single week because the government was monitoring how, how that was going on to, to crack down on it. So I'm walking with Yah and I, I said, Yah, what, where, where's, where, where are you meeting this week? What, what, where is it? And he says, we'll, we'll see in just a minute. So I keep following him and we walk down this random alley and then we look up and on the sixth floor, there's this hand waving um, in a random apartment up on the sixth floor. And he looks at me, he's like, we're meeting there. And w- w- I was confused, but then he tells me that um, they couldn't send out the exact location over messages because their phones were being monitored. So they'd send out the apartment complex and then figure it out from there. And I'm sure after that moment and then going to the service with Yah that week, I was like, this is unbelievable. That a year ago, this, this guy did not believe in God, but now he's willing to risk everything. He would have been kicked out of the university as a student had, had he been caught at this, at this church meeting. And th- this had just changed all of who he was. And, and I remember going to eat lunch with him and his classmates and again, seeing him share with them with such boldness and conviction that Jesus is our salvation. Um, I'm out of time. I could share a lot more. Please come ask me uh, if, if you have other questions. I also have some prayer cards that I brought if you want those. Um, But we're so grateful, citizens, for your support. Um, Thank you. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.